Well, good morning, Heights family. It's good to see you. And you know, I say that every week, don't I? You know, anytime you hear something all the time, you assume it's not really genuine. It's just that's what they do to fill time, right? But after last week, where I preached 30 minutes to a green dot on the top of my laptop, I can say it's really good to see you. Your face is much more intriguing to me than a green dot on my, on my laptop. I don't know if that gives you much value or compliment, but uh, yeah, grateful for technology that uh, after the snow and the, the cold weather we weren't able to have last Sunday and we could do just a piece of our worship and studying God's Word together, grateful for that, but uh, it really is much more enjoyable to preach to your face than a green dot. So now let's think about... Who do you think in your mind are some great people in Scripture? When you, when you think of the great Bible characters, what's the first three, four, five names that you think of? Would it be uh, like in the Old Testament of Moses? Y'all going to go there pretty quickly? David, of course. Maybe Elijah. We, we run under the New Testament. Peter, Paul are, are going to come up there. Those are some of the great characters. I, I kind of got us thinking about that because I think for a lot of us, Nehemiah is not going to make that first cut. When we say, think of a great name in Scripture, somebody really lived great for God, we're going to have to get eight, nine, ten people deep before we even start to maybe think of a Nehemiah. And gosh, that's too bad. Because Nehemiah truly is a very great life lived for God. Nehemiah is, is studied, and, and even books have been written on his leadership. He was an incredible leader, and there's in that short book in the Old Testament some incredible principles of leadership. He shows us what it looks like to lead when nobody's looking, when everybody's looking, how you lead when you're being attacked, when there's, when there's opposition. He even looks at, I, I think you can draw from his life, leadership when you've already done the big thing. You know, if you think about it, a lot of times a leader is forged because they, they bring us to the big game. They, they help us accomplish the big project. They, they get us past the big problem. But what does leadership look, on, look like on the other side of that? Well, Nehemiah shows us. Just an incredible man. He, he came and he led a, a group of people that, that were defeated, that were disengaged, to take on really what might be an impossible task and against oppressive opposition, and he brought home the victory. I mean, he really is something. If I was going to put Nehemiah like on a list of, of, the, of a certain kind of people, I'd put him there with like George Washington or, or Winston Churchill, the kind of guy that, that rose up and led a nation, led people in a, in a very critical moment to be what they needed to be. He's an incredible guy. And, and I say all that to get us thinking about Nehemiah in this way for this purpose, because this great man was a great man of prayer. We're going to continue today our series on prayer that we started last week, not here in this room, but, but online together. Hopefully you were able to join us. We, we kicked off prayer, and uh, I hope you take notes today uh, in your prayer journal. I hope you got one of these on the way in. If you didn't get one, I hope, I hope you'll get one on the way out. This is a, something to kind of help encourage and give direction to your prayer life, not just during the series. I, I said that last week. 
week. This is actually a tool designed, hopefully, to encourage and help you with your prayer in the whole coming year. There's a lot of places to take notes. There's some things, a lot of prayer requests for the church, some different ideas on how to pray, what to pray. There's sermon notes in there. So hope you'll get one of these and and use that. And we finished last week with this prayer. We finished last week with, with kind of this challenge. Lord, would you make the only great thing that happens in my life this year be something that rises up in prayer? May nothing get better, may nothing get improved, may nothing get fixed that doesn't come out of my prayer life. Now that might on one hand sound kind of scary, like, I, I, what, really? Now what am I praying for? Do I want to limit God to only moving on what I've prayed about? I mean, I don't know about you folks. I am okay with God surprising me with some good things this year. How about you? You know, some things I've not prayed about. But, you know, think of how this might challenge us. Is, is if I would make the commitment, God, I don't, I don't want to see anything happen that I've not walked with you, that I've not covered with you, that I've not worked out with you in prayer. Let it happen in prayer first and foremost. Kind of a challenging thought and idea that we would want our prayer lives to have that kind of power and and that kind of effect. And so kind of leaving that, we're now back today and and we're going to start kind of feeding in this prayer we're talking about. We're going to spend a couple of Sundays learning what we can about prayer today from the life of Nehemiah. Next week from the life of Jesus, we're going to come back in two weeks and, and look at how we build a prayer life, a prayer time alone. What, what, what do I do to build that time and to shape that time? We're going to have a message where we look at praying with others. Something that probably the great majority of us are not comfortable doing. And, and usually try to avoid doing if we can. We're, we're going we're gonna to look at that. So this is kind of some of the places that we're going to be going starting today with Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Or if you have a smartphone with a Bible app on it. Get, get to that. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, if you do have your Bible, probably the fastest way to get there is find the Psalms. You find the Psalms, that's right in the middle. Then go to the left. Go to the left, you'll hit Job and then Esther and then there's Nehemiah. If you get to Ezra Chronicles, you went too far to the left. Come back a little bit. So Nehemiah chapter 1 and I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open To hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them back to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. 
They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Chapter 2, verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now obviously I kind of dropped you down into the middle of a problem. I, I dropped you down into the middle of a prayer and you may not grasp or understand why we're there, what we're there doing, what, what Nehemiah is talking about. So let me try to fill in a little bit of the story here. So Nehemiah and Ezra, and now we didn't, we're not talking about Ezra, but Ezra is the book right before Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra are two books in the Old Testament that are written about the return of the Jews to Judah. In, in 606 B.C., uh, they, a, a conquering began. They were being conquered by Babylon. And by 586 B.C., they had been pretty much wiped out. Their cities razed, destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And, and the Jews were carted off, literally, and, and carried into exile in, into the nation of Babylon. In 586 B.C., 70 years later, just like God prophesied, Seventy years later, they began returning in, in 516 B.C. And uh, over the next 15, 20 years, you're going to see a couple of waves returning. Ezra, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to lead the third and kind of the final big wave of people returning to Jerusalem. All of this had been prophesied by the Lord. So they're, they're returning, and Ezra is kind of about the... Uh, the religious restoration of the people as they become a people again, as they become a nation again. And Nehemiah is more about the, the geopolitical restoration of these people. And so that's what you have in these two books. It's, it's a story about the return uh, of the Jews there. And Nehemiah introduces himself to us as a cupbearer to the king. Now, what, what is a cupbearer? You might have looked at the language there. The words there might do the math and sounds like he, he takes wine to the king. Yep, that on a simple level, that was pretty much his job. He, he would have been an expert in the wines of the world, uh, the, the kinds of wine served at different occasions. He would have obviously been very familiar with what was a favorite of the king. And, and his job was to make sure the cellar was perfect and what the king had in his hand was perfect. He was a, a cupbearer to the king. Now, all in all, that doesn't sound like the biggest job in the world, does it? Doesn't sound like the most influential thing you could be doing in life. But there's more going on here with a cupbearer. I'm not sure entirely why that is. It's, it's not unique to Nehemiah. The position of cupbearer in this day and age during that time period, uh, this person had the ear of the king. 
That they were at the throne a lot. That they would be in a good relationship. And so for this person to get this job, they would have been known as an intellectual. Really a part of the intellectual elite of the day. They would have been a person of influence, a person that had, had proved themselves even in leadership. And, and so these are the kinds of things Artaxerxes would have already seen in Nehemiah. I, I don't know what he put on the resume, but they would have followed it up and, and they would have seen these kinds of things. It could be that they already had an existing relationship. We know a, a relationship develops once he's in the position, but the king knows, hey, this guy, I, I'm, I'm going to be listening to him. I'm going to be taking his advice. I'm going to be bouncing ideas off of him. So it could be that, that Nehemiah and Artaxerxes already had some kind of friendship, already had some kind of relationship, and in the position, one would certainly develop. One would certainly grow. You know, I think probably to understand who and what Nehemiah is, I think in our culture, in our understanding, we would use a title like special counsel to the president. You know, you know we're, we're getting ready to see a transition of presidents. And, and, and so the last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of these appointing of positions, right? We've got to get a secretary of this and a secretary of that and, and this person. And they have very specific jobs. I mean, the, the secretary of state has a very specific responsibility. The secretary of defense, a very specific responsibility. But then presidents will appoint a couple of people, that, not, not just a friend that has access to the house, but somebody that has a title, somebody that plays a role, but they're not over anything specific. And that person is usually called special counsel to the president. That's what Nehemiah was. Yeah, there was this, this tiny and this specific job of, of bringing the wine. But, but really the big thing he was is he, he had the ear of the throne. And he would give advice and, and he would give direction. Now understanding how that relationship was. You might wonder, when we get in there to chapter 2, verse 2, verse 3, you know, the, the king notices that he's sad, and he says, hey, what's wrong with you? And, and it says, man, man, I got really afraid. Well, why, why would you get afraid if a friend of yours, somebody you relate with every day, n notices that you're sad? Well, you know, folks, some things never change. You, you know, that things work the way they work. You ever, been, you ever been a friend with somebody that was like two or three rungs up the ladder from you? You know, I'm talking about somebody, they just had a higher station in life that you had. I mean, a lot of times we don't have access to those kinds of relationships. But maybe some of us in here actually kind of ended up being like a friend with the CEO of this big company. Or maybe you knew the governor. Maybe you actually knew a, a, a president. And, and when you get to relate with somebody like that, you know, you'll, you'll, we're friends. And you'll certainly tell other people that you're friends. But the truth is, even in that friendship, there's... There's kind of some rules to follow, isn't there? There's kind of some lines that you don't, you don't cross. And the friendship is mostly defined by them, not so much you, when you're, when you're, when you're operating a couple of rungs above your level there. Well, well that's kind of where Nehemiah is. You know, our text, Xerxes, defines the relationship. And you know what? When you're in the presence of the king, guess who it's about? It's about the king. You, you, you didn't go into the king's presence with your personal emotions, with your personal feelings, with your personal stories. You find when you're in the presence of the king, you talk a whole lot about what's important to the king. 
and what's on the king's mind. And, and you literally, that was actually a rule. You did not show emotion, personal emotion. And when you cross lines, you could have, well, you could have your head cut off. You know, kind of a high cost. Now, fortunately, you and I don't live in that kind of situation, but not much has changed. You know, there's these relationships that we in. There are a couple of rungs above us. We kind of got these. We're friends, but there's these rules to follow. You know, as you think about the way we relate, I don't know, folks, it just makes me so much more appreciative of the relationship that God is seeking to afford you and me, the access that he is seeking to afford you and me. I mean, if I'm in the presence of the king, of the president, of the governor, we're not talking about my life. We're talking about them. And yet we have the king of all kings, the God of all gods, the governor of all governors, the Lord of all lords. That, well, look what he says in Hebrews 4. He says, come on in, man. I, I want you to be able to come with confidence before the throne of grace. And I want you to be confident you're going to find mercy there. Mercy. I'm, I'm, I, I care about where you are. I, I, I'm hurting with you. I want you to find help. I want, when you come into my presence, I want you to find the help that you need. Isn't this interesting? The one being in the universe, the one being in the universe that actually could look at you and say, what are you doing in my office? What in the world do you think you're doing here? You have no right to be in this room. You, you have no right to be here wasting my time. I'm running a universe here, not your piddly little life. The one being who could say that to us, folks, is the one being who's most gracious to us. The one being, more, more than any of our other relationships, that gives us the most access to come freely, confidently, joyfully into his presence to enjoy the very most. Don't we have an awesome God? This is what he is giving to us. So anyway, we have, we have Artaxerxes, we have Nehemiah working for him there in Susa. And Nehemiah hears this report about Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem that they're, they're still in, in shambles. That, 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 I mean, they've been back now 15, 20 years and, and, and the walls have not gone back up. Now, you and I, that, that doesn't rock our world, does it? <laughs> you know, the walls, I think, is a little bit difficult to translate. It's a little bit like the cupbearer. There's just a whole lot more going on there than, than we might read into the word cupbearer. The same is true with walls. The walls, now you can do the math. I mean, the wall around the city, that's a city's safety, right? That's a city's security. To not have walls is to be vulnerable, to be open to attack. But it's, but it's more than that. You know, when you think of the great cities of the world, you know, when you see a city, you think of its skyline. Doesn't, doesn't a skyline just say something about power? Power and strength and, and resources. And when you think of the great cities of the world, there'll, there'll be an edifice, something built. I mean, when you think of New York City, it's Empire State Building, right? In Chicago, it's the Sears Tower. Paris, it's the Eiffel Tower. We, we think of these great structures that just kind of define the greatness of that city. Well, in this day and age, it wasn't a building, it was the walls, the walls of a city were its strength, its pride. It's what, it's what said, we count. We're, we're a city. We're a people. We, we mean something here. Without those walls, it was, it's like, well, anything and everything can just ramble through your stuff. <laughs> anything and everything can just roll through. You're, you're vulnerable to any. You really don't count. 
And, and so when, when Nehemiah gets this report that, hey, you know, Ezra's gone back with the waves, the rubble's gone back, there's tens of thousands of Jews back there, and they're not doing anything about this, I, I mean, he, he kind of breaks into mourning. Hey, you know what? Hey, hey, God's people, we need to represent God better than this. We need to build for God better than this. We need to stand for God. We don't want to look like a vulnerable people, a people that can just be run over and, 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 and taken over. By the way, like a little uh, a spoiler alert, and boy, I really encourage you to read Nehemiah today. It'd it take you 15, 20 minutes, but a little spoiler alert. He is going to go back. He is going to rebuild the walls in 52 days. I mean, it is, it is as big a deal as, as David defeating Goliath. As a matter of fact, when you get home today, Google the walls of Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah. And you'll see something about the project. And I mean, folks, when we say walls, don't think of the fence that runs around your backyard, okay, except stone. People built their homes in these walls. I mean, that, that says something about the width of these walls, the height of these walls. It was a massive structure running for miles around the city. And he got there and he built it in 52 days. Pretty, pretty incredible thing. So anyway, he's gotten this report. The walls are down. So the first thing he does, I mean, you, he, what did he say there? He's, he's upset. So the first thing he does is he gets on the phone with Ezra and Zerubbabel and just but chews them out good. What are you guys doing there? You're worthless. You're, you've wasted God's time. You've wasted the peace. No, that's not what he did. No, no. The first thing he did was call a good friend and talk bad about Zerubbabel and Ezra. Right? I mean, and we do, you hear, well, think about it, folks. We, we hear bad news. Something's not working. Something didn't happen that was supposed to happen. If we don't call and chew them out, then we call somebody else and together we talk about how bad they are, right? Because we do this all the time. All of the time. This is what we do. Get on the phone, get talking, get ourselves worked up, get somebody else worked up. No, that's not what he did either. No, Nehemiah just crawled off into a corner, just depressed, and said, well, I'll just die here. Nothing works. Nothing's like it's supposed to be. It never comes. No, we didn't do that either. No, Nehemiah did. The other thing, if you and I aren't grumbling and complaining and tearing the situation down even more, we do the other thing is we go get with our connections, right? I mean, who's more connected than Nehemiah? Special counsel to the president. I can get money. I can get personnel. I can get the king to write some edicts to kind of pave the way and make this project happen. And folks, when you got a problem, what do you, who can help me? Who, who can get this worked out with me? What, what connection can I work? No, he didn't do that either. What did he do? He prayed. Nehemiah prayed first, and then he continued. You know, when I, when I just read this out loud to you, and especially if you're not real familiar with it and catching each word, it almost sounds like he heard about a problem, he said a prayer, and then he went to the king. Hey, can you help me with this? But that's not what happened. If you look there at the beginning of chapter 1, you'll see a little word you don't usually use. It says, in the month of Kislev. Now, we don't have a month of Kislev, do we? Their, their month of Kislev would be our kind of a halfway through November to halfway through December. It didn't line up quite the same. So kind of a November-December time frame for us. Then if you look at the beginning of chapter 2, where he actually did, then did go to the king, it says it's the month of Nisan. Nisan is our March-April. When it says he prayed, folks, he prayed for four months. Four months before he got on the phone and griped and complained about how awful the situation or how awful the person is, 
Four months before he kind of explored, you know, his teacher, his coach, his boss, anybody that could help get this fixed. Four months before he did it. Four months of praying. Matter of fact, it said he, he prayed and he fasted. Now, praying, if, if we're a people of faith, and, and I'm assuming we all are, are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, right? So we pray every day, right? Praying is how we breathe. Praying is how we live. I mean, that, it, I pray like I breathe, right? Just nod with me here and let's just all pretend we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. Now, fasting we don't do every day, right? Because I eat every day. And that's okay. That's the way God made this body. It, it needs food, needs it on a pretty regular basis. So the normal thing I do is pray and eat. But every now and then, you and I will come up on a kind of a unique situation Maybe kind of an unparalleled problem. Maybe kind of an urgent issue. And man, we just really, I mean in a kind of a special way, I just really need God's presence. I need his guidance. I, I need to know his will, his power in the midst of Now, it's not that I don't need it in the other regular stuff. It's just I really, really, I've really I can't afford to miss this. You know what, what fasting does? It kind of heightens our prayer. It sharpens it. It focuses it. You, you know, fasting is what it does for us. It's not a trick that I do to get God to pay attention to me. But what it does is it dials me in. It, it tunes me in a little sharper to the Lord. Do you ever feel like that every now and then, boy, I can't afford to miss this? There's things I want to pray about and be faithful about regularly, daily. and they, But then every now and then, man, I just cannot miss this. And folks, every time people in Scripture come up on a time like that, they fast. Did you know that you and I should be fasting? Fasting is not something for the mystic in a monastery on a mountain somewhere. Fasting is not for weird people that we try to avoid when we see a church. Fasting should be a regular part of all of our lives. Now, what's regular? Hey, you might decide to, 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 to fast when you come up on these unique moments. That way, so, you know, it might not be measured by a calendar. Fasting might be a discipline you bring into your life where you're fasting a day a week, a, a day a month, a day a quarter. You may, regular may be fasting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fast January 3rd. I'm not fasting January 1st. I'm eating, eating like a king on that day. <laughs> But January 3rd, I'm going to fast. Going to fast and pray about the new year ahead. We should be thinking about how we involve fasting in our lives. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving some instruction on fasting. He says these three words. When you fast. Do you know that Jesus assumes you and I will be fasting? He doesn't even make it a command. I mean, I know you're fasting. So when you fast, here's the kind of the rules that go with that. When you fast. Not a if, when. Uh, in the, in the uh, journal here, page 19, uh, there is some, some kind of suggestions on building a prayer life. And at the bottom of that, there is four, five, six books recommended and one of those is the the power of praying and fasting by floyd i, I highly recommend that there's others i'm not going to do a message per se just on fasting but folks i think it, i think it is something you and i should bring into our lives and and to do that most of us need to understand a little bit more about what it is how you do it how you prepare for it what you do during a fast some variety of things like that so i encourage you to get some some direction on that because we see nehemiah clearly accomplishing great things for God, getting great direction and answers from God, and fasting was a part of his life. But so was prayer. 
And as he prays in chapter 1, he kind of shows us a flow of prayer. Now, the flow I'm going to show you is not a command. At at the top of chapter 1, it doesn't say, for all of you reading this prayer, you have to pray just like this or it won't work. No, that's, that's not what we're looking at today. We're not looking at a formula, an outline that you have to use or you go straight to hell. You don't pass go or anything. No, it's, it's, it's an idea. And Nehemiah seems to be pretty good at this prayer thing. I want to learn from somebody pretty good at it, don't you? And so what do we see when Nehemiah prays? Well, we see, we see praise, we see confession, we see scripture, and we see a request. Now let's look at each of these four pieces real quickly here. First of all, he praises He praises God. I mean, you see that as the prayer opens up, our great and awesome God, you are loving, you are faithful. Let me me tell you what praise is not about. Praise is not trying to grease the wheel. Praise is not trying to butter God up. I'll tell you some really great things about you if you listen to me. I'll tell you how awesome I think you are if you'll give me what I want. We're not trying to butter up God with praise. You know what we're doing in praise? We're realigning ourselves. Think about why we're praying, folks. Isn't it sometimes because we're a little bit overwhelmed? We're overwhelmed by a problem. We're overwhelmed by a person. We're overwhelmed by some challenge out there. You know what praise helps me to do? It realigns me so that I am more overwhelmed by the goodness and the greatness of God than I am the problem that I'm getting ready to talk to him about. It reminds me, because as I praise it, man, you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, you're loving, you're kind, you're just, you're right, you're good. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, whatever I'm praying about here is not your fault. You didn't create the problem. You're not the problem. Praise helps get my mind and my heart where it needs to be so that not only can I pray, but I can trust, because trust is hard. And the less you know somebody, the less you trust their character, then the less you're going to trust them. And so praise is, is for us as much as it is something I'm, I'm giving to God. And then the second thing, oh, wait, let me, I put a couple of psalms up here. You might want to jot those down. Great psalms of praise. There's more than those, what did I put there, five. There's more than those five, but those would really just enrich your ideas and your vocabulary on what really just going nuts praising God looks like and sounds like. So I, I encourage you to write those down and check it out. Second place he went in prayer was confession. Okay, now in praise, I'm aligning myself in understanding God rightly. In confession, I'm aligning myself to understand myself rightly. You know, folks, the reason we pray is, I mean, every prayer is a sin issue. Now, I'm not saying whatever you're praying about is your fault because you sin. No, it could be. (laughs) That happens sometimes, right? But that's not the point I'm making here. What I'm saying, folks, is we collectively have sinned, right? And the sin of mankind is, well, it broke everything. And so now, as a reality, as a part of our life, we have confusion and frustration, fear, anxiety, anger, and things break. And so as I'm coming to God and I'm saying, hey, I need you to move and to work here, I am mindful that I've caused part of this problem. You know, hey, God, I I need your answer here. Man, I really need your answer on this situation And boy, God, as I ask you for that, I'm just really aware. I've been unfaithful with answers you've given me before. I've asked for your answers. You've shown my answers and then I've not obeyed. I've I've not trusted. Here I am, God. I'm, I'm asking for you to move and to reveal and to show yourself. And there's been so many places I rejected. 
I walked away from what you revealed and showed. And I confess that as sin. See, what confession does, it not only aligns me right with God and who I am, but it also clears any junk that might be in the way, right? I mean, if there's junk between you and another person, you've got to clear that stuff out of the way. And aren't you grateful you and I, clearing it out of the way is just a matter of confessing and clinging to the cross? Because it's the blood of Christ that ultimately washes and wipes that stuff clean so that you and I can boldly enter into His presence. But see, the reason confession also aligns me right is I boldly and confidently enter His presence. I want to be careful not to arrogantly enter His presence, right? Being confident about going before God, being confident that He calls me a friend and allows me to call Him a friend, doesn't mean I can approach Him with arrogance. Doesn't mean I can approach Him with a sense of, you owe me. And we we do that, folks, in prayer. I'm not saying you do it because you're an evil, horrible person. I'm not saying you do it on purpose, but we get frustrated enough, we get angry enough. Hey, God, why didn't you do this? God, you were supposed to, you were supposed to, right? Because God, I did my part. That's almost laughable that we we see ourselves in a relationship with God and I've done something and we're now waiting on him. You know, hey, we're now, God, you're now obligated to do your part in this. Man, you know what? Confession reminds me that this throne of friendship I'm at, it's a throne of grace. I'm there trusting wholly in his kindness and goodness, not in all that I bring to the table. Because what I brought to the table was was my sin. And then the third thing is Scripture. Now, the reason I put number three, Scripture, is because as you go through his, his prayer, that, that's just the third thing I saw in verse 8. He starts quoting to God's Scripture. He starts basically praying God's Word, saying, God, would you fulfill this promise? But number one, two, three, four, that kind of communicates an order. And so that's where my list kind of miscommunicates. Scripture is not do praise first, do confession first, and then you do something with Scripture. Folks, Scripture can and should flow all the way through our prayer. Scripture can and should shape my praise. Scripture can and should shape my confession. Scripture can and should shape my requests. You will find, if you start looking at Scripture this way, it will give life and depth and width to your prayers. You know, I bet if a lot of us are being honest, we get bored with our own prayers. You bore yourself with your prayers. And here's why. And I'm guessing most of us are the same in this. We kind of pray about the same set of things with the same few set of little words each and every day. So it just kind of becomes, ah, 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 ah. Amen. You will find that the the scripture gives you a whole brand new list of things to be praying about and praying for. As a matter of fact, you'll find that it tells you to pray about a lot of things you've never once prayed about. Yeah, all kinds of things in here. And, and And it gets you praying about things maybe you wouldn't have thought to pray about for yourself. Let's say I'm reading Nehemiah 1. That pastor told me to read Nehemiah today. I'll go home and read Nehemiah. And I read Nehemiah chapter 1 and I just make one observation. Man, the first place Nehemiah went when he he had a problem is he went to God. He didn't go to that great connection he had with the king. Man, Lord, I pray that as I deal with my challenge and issues, my first thought is not what can the coach do for me? What can my teacher do for me? What can my boss do for me? How can I get out? I pray the first place I would go would be prayer. I pray the first place I would go would not be grumbling and complaining and tearing down. But the first, God, God I'd be like Nehemiah, Lord. You can just be reading a, a story like that and it develops a prayer. Um, 
It's in the book, page 19, but I would really encourage you to get Praying the Bible. As you can see, very short. A short book is a good book, right? Short probably can read that in two or three sittings in an hour or so. Praying the Bible will have a profound impact on your prayer life. I promise. And with that promise, in $5, you can get coffee somewhere. Okay? But it will. I promise you, it's super book. So we want to we use God's word to shape our prayers. And then fourthly, lastly, obviously, why are we praying? We get to the request. You know what amazes me about Nehemiah? Now remember, there's nowhere it says you have to pray just like Nehemiah did. But I do find it curious as you go through his prayer, there's a good bit on praise, there's a good bit on confession, and then you get down to the end and there's like one sentence is the request. I mean, he's really short when he gets to the request time. Why are you so short there? By the way, I can take you to other prayers in the Bible where, where the request is much longer, the, the request is much fuller. But as I'm, I'm looking at what Nehemiah is doing here, I'm thinking, why is the request so short? I mean, I thought that's why we were praying was to, to get to the request, right? You, you know, I wonder, you know, and this is just speculation. I'm just guessing. I don't, I don't know what he's doing here. I, I wonder if, okay, like, first of all, to rebuild these walls. I mean, this is like a 157-step a, a project, right? And you could be praying about all 157 steps, but, but what if he's, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, the first step I'm going to take is to go talk to the king. And so he just devotes, I'm just going to give the next step to God. And, 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 and after that unfolds, then I'll know what to pray about next and how to pray. I'm not going to pray about a bunch of things I don't even know yet. I'm, I'm just going to pray about the first step. That, that might be a reason. Maybe he was like, hey, I want to be really clear and abundant in my praise. I want to be really clear in, that, that God knows and understands I get that I'm a sinner. Now, on the request, God's got it. He knows all the details. He'll do what needs to be done there. A variety of reasons. I, I, I don't know why. We don't, don't, you don't have to make your request short. I just thought it was interesting that his is so, I mean, here's his request. Hear me and give me favor before the king. That's it. Hardly makes a whole sentence. You know, another thing I find interesting is the one thing he does pray about. Favor before the king. You know, I would have thought of all the things to pray about in this situation. That would be the thing you almost don't have to pray about. You know, if you think about it, folks, you and I have a lot more things that we don't pray about than we do pray about. Why? Because I don't need God's help on those. Oh, man, I cover chemistry in prayer. Oh, God, please, for the love of God, help me in chemistry. I don't have to pray about history. I got that one. Right? I, I, I don't even, I've never prayed about this person I deal with at work because that's good. This person, God, please remove him from the planet. This week would be awesome. See, I don't, we don't, I don't, you don't, we don't pray about where we've got it. Well, when you think about all of the things that Nehemiah could be praying about, he's got the relationship with the king. I, I, I got that covered. Good friends. I'm special counsel, special counsel to POTUS. What can you tweet? I mean, I've got that. But that's the one thing he prays about. Maybe he's communicating to himself in his request. Maybe he's communicating to God. Hey, God, I got, I got places I could go in this request. I just want you to know you are all that I want in this request. I want your answer, not the king's answer. I want your way, not the king's way. I want to see your power expressed in this, not the king's power. 
And maybe he's praying that just because it would be our tendency to trust in the king, right? Tell me if you don't have a relationship like that, you're not trusting in it. You're not depending on it. You're not using. We all use relationships like that. Hey, God, to the best of my knowledge, to understand this issue and problem, it seems like going and talking to him would be a good first step. I just want you to know you are my first step. And whatever happens in that conversation, I want to be what you want to happen. That's awesome, isn't it? Man, Nehemiah shows us a lot. You know something else Nehemiah shows us? This whole question about, okay, now when I pray, do I have to like give this dedicated time each day to go and be alone with the Lord and, and, and pray for 10, 15, 20 minutes? Or can I just kind of pray as I go? And the answer is, yes. You can do both. The Bible wants you to do both. The, the Bible wants us to build both disciplines in our life. I think of like how David communicated himself in Psalm 5.3. Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. Gosh, there's so much in one verse there. First of all, the verbiage here of morning. David's not talking about a morning. Hey Lord, you remember last Thursday when I came before you? The, the verbiage here is that it's a continual thing. It's a habitual thing. Lord, every morning you hear my voice and it's a sacrifice it's a sacrifice to wake up early right it's a sacrifice some of us are kind of hard charging we hit the ground we get the coffee and it's go make the call get the first email out get things moving it's a sacrifice to maybe go against our personality and just be still and wait on the lord it's a sacrifice to offer up these words because you know i don't trust anybody better than myself And so to stop and say, hey, I want to trust something in someone more than myself. God, I'm offering up this sacrifice of faith. I'm watching. I'm going to watch. I don't know about y'all. I do personally have a problem. I'll pray. But the moment I say amen, I charge off into the day as if I hadn't. And I'm not looking for anything that I just prayed about. I'm just looking for what I got to do next. Man, David says, I I watched. And, And look at Jesus here. And rising very early in the morning. Wow. How early was that, Jesus? While it was still dark. Oh, gosh, I thought he was going to say that. He, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Here again, do you see how much is in one sentence? We, We need to get up early. We need to get alone, get away, and get with God. And, and, and this is not just talking about one morning that Jesus did this. There's multiple verses just like that one all throughout the Gospels, clearly showing this was the discipline and the habit of Jesus' life. There's, there's some notes in here in the journal on how to do that. There, there's going to be a message in two weeks on how do we build this 15, this 20-minute time alone, time away with God where we just devote ourselves to being still and, and, and to praying. But then also, folks, the Scripture wants you and I to pray as we go. And we walk out and get in the car and notice it's a beautiful day. We praise God for it. We notice it's raining. We praise God for it. Sometimes that takes a little more work, right? You know, we're walking into a meeting. We say a prayer. We walk into the chemistry test. Lord, please. Please, please, please. Yeah, that's kind of what First Thessalonians 5.17 is talking about. Pray without ceasing. Once you open that conversation with the Lord in the morning, just keep that dialogue going all day long. And folks, is that not what Nehemiah just showed us? In chapter 1, you clearly have what is representative of of the way he was praying, what he was praying over four months. 
You, you have kind of his daily devoted time alone with God. But then you get to chapter 2, verse 4. Look at that. It says, so I prayed to God. Do you realize there where it says, so I prayed to God? He is in the middle of a conversation with the king. How long could that prayer have been? It probably wasn't even a whole sentence. And I bet some of his grammar was wrong. I mean, seriously, what kind of conversation did he have with God? He offered up a phrase. And folks, a phrase can move heaven. A phrase out of your mouth to your loving father can move heaven. And I would say, especially when that phrase bubbles up out of that daily devoted time with the Lord. You know, one more thing. I've gone super long. Uh, one, one quick question also I think we see answered here is the, the question... Um, you know, if God's sovereign, he knows everything, he's going to do the right thing, then, then why pray? What, what is it I'm adding to the, to the table here, to the mix here? I mean, it's not like God needs my insight. It's, it's not like God's only going to do right and good. I mean, he, he's going to. What's interesting about this story is everything happening has been prophesied. As I said earlier, God prophesied, gave, gave his prophets the future. If you don't repent, you're going to be exiled. And God, God begged them. God begged him to repent hundreds of years. God's not quick to anger and judgment. He's quick to forgiveness and love. And they rebelled against that. They rejected that. So finally they were exiled. God said you'll be exiled. Jeremiah 25, 11, Jeremiah 29, 10. The exile will be 70 years. And historically we see in 516 BC, not 69 years, not 71 years. In 70 years, King Cyrus, the king who'd been prophesied before he was even born. The scripture named a king before that king was born. And sure enough, King Cyrus rises up and sends the exiles back. And God has said, as the exiles get back, he's going to restore. He's going to rebuild. There's going to be this prosperity and there's greatness. So why does, why does Nehemiah get all tied up in knots? Hey, God's going to do what God's going to do. God has all power. God has control. It's going to happen. But you know what's interesting, folks? In, in God's word, the people of faith, they don't ever meet God's sovereignty with indifference, with inactivity. And they certainly don't meet God's sovereignty with a lack of prayer. As a matter of fact, it seems the more a people of faith know who God is and what he's doing and where he's going, the more they pray. Because, folks, prayer is our opportunity to join God in who he is, what he's doing, and where he's going. Nehemiah begins to pray. He knows God's going to do it. But he begins to pray and fast. And look what happens. He becomes God's answer. He becomes the way God do, does the future he's already communicated that he's going to do. Folks, what if the big thing that God is doing in our lives is not just divvying out answers? But in the questions that you and I have, the frustrations, the fears, the problems, God is trying to show you what he wants to do in and with and through you. What if you're the answer? What if that's the big thing that God is doing, is making you the answer? Well, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Let us pray. Seriously, let's pray. <laughs> God, would you help me help us pray like Nehemiah? 
Help us to have that kind of outlook, that kind of understanding, that kind of commitment. God, would you motivate me past my boredom, motivate me past my inactivity, motivate me past my lack of faith. God, may the more I believe you're good and in control and that you're going to do what you're going to do, may the more I pray. God, would you develop in us, help us to find that discipline to get up. Get alone, get away with you and pray. And God, help us to to build that conversation with you that just goes on all day long. God, may we be your answer for this world that is broken by sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.